Hi, I'm Latresa. And I'm Clancy. And we are a mother-daughter duo that shares a love and admiration for all things Elvis. On this podcast, you can expect a deep dive into the life of Elvis Presley. We will discuss books written by Elvis's friends, family members, and others who knew him best. We will critique and enjoy Elvis movies, concerts, and music with those who grew up listening to his music, watching his movies, enjoying his concerts, and hopefully inspiring a new generation of Elvis fans along the way. With all the misconceptions surrounding Elvis, we want to remember his life and his legacy. The man, the friend, the entertainer, and the philanthropist. This podcast is dedicated to those of us who celebrate the life of one of the greatest entertainers of all times. Let's Talk Elvis! Hey guys, it's Clancy and Latresa, and welcome back to the Let's Talk Elvis podcast. It's been a while, and we've missed you all. Um, I am really, really, really excited about tonight's episode. Uh, it's one that we've been asked to do a few times, and it was originally going to be about Elvis's girlfriends plural in the 50s but once we got into researching we realized we're gonna have to do an episode for each so um tonight i'm gonna be talking about dixie Locke, one of uh well the memoir she wrote called unlocked um says memoirs of elvis's first girlfriend and um as far as I know, she was one of his first. I don't know if she was the very first, but she was one of the first. And we got this book in Memphis. Was it at Marlowe's that we got uh, it? Yes, it was at Marlowe's. So we got this book at Marlowe's um, last July. And uh, my mom read it. I drove us home from Memphis and my mom read it in the car on the way home. It's a super small book, a fast read, but it's so good. And it is jam-packed full of good stories of Elvis before fame and right when he was starting to get famous, which I think, you know, you don't really hear much about. And if you can get your hands on it, there's some really, really great pictures in it. Um, I actually started taking notes on it and just stopped. And I'm just going to use the book if you guys hear pages turning because there's so much stuff I thought I'm gonna be writing all night so um I'm like I said I'm really excited about this and I think you guys are really gonna like it because of all the good the good Elvis stories so I'm mainly gonna I have Dixie's book so I'm gonna do most of talking about Dixie but my mom Latresa is gonna do Anita Wood next week so make sure something, you tune in. Something I wanted to kind of throw in there. Dixie was the uh, was the girlfriend that is in the new Elvis movie. Um, yes. And they really, I, I we had read the book and um, I don't know. I did not feel that Dixie had a very good portrayal in the movie. I was disappointed about the way they portrayed her because having read the book, you do feel like you, kind of know her I mean you have an an idea of her character and 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 
personality and things and it just seemed like they they just made her kind of ditzy I think in the movie or whatever yeah um, I did not feel that they gave her the qualities character that she should have and I realized the movie was great. and it was just a small part about him having a, a, a hometown girl when he got famous and things so I understand that but I just really I didn't feel like they did her justice so just wanted to know I agree her. they made her kind of seem almost like an idiot in a little bit yeah. I mean you're yeah. just you just want to be like go away like yeah you I mean yeah she's she's not like that one thing I did love about her book that we talked about was that this her stories with Elvis are so sweet and innocent because they were both so young and maybe they were trying to portray that in the movie and the actress just came off as obnoxious and kind of dumb and ditzy um I don't know, but I do think that I also agree that she was not portrayed as well as she could have been or should have been. Exactly. But maybe we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, and that's what they were trying to do is just capture, like, the teenage, lovesick teenage girl. I don't know. But- right. And, and, and too, I mean, it, it had to, they, they didn't even have to add it. They did add it because it was factual that he had a girlfriend at the time. Yeah. But you know it it um, it was it wasn't about her, so you know that you have to think about that too. Yeah. So Dixie and her family. Well, she grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Her given name was Willa Dean, but she felt it was a bit too formal for her. And she saw a billboard one day that said Dixie Automotive and loved the name Dixie. So she decided that it was going to be her name from that day forward, which um, it it caught on with a lot of people. But she said her family, for the most part, still called her uh, Dean is what they would call her. Um, Dixie and her family attended First Assembly of God Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And at the time, it was one of the largest churches in Memphis. And in 1953, a new family came from Tupelo, Mississippi. And it's not very hard to figure out who that family she's talking about is. Elvis and his parents attended that church when they moved from Tupelo. So she said, every Sunday morning, the teens would meet for prayer and singing prior to the Bible study classes. And that's where Dixie first laid eyes on Elvis. And she was attracted to him at once and could tell he was interested in her, too, because he was always looking at her and stealing glances her way when she was around. And they would smile at each other, but never really spoke. She said he was super shy. And um, she realized, like, if she was ever going to talk to him, she was going to have to be the one to make the move. So, um On the weekends, Dixie and her friends would go roller skating. And one Sunday, they were making plans to go. And Dixie made sure to be near Elvis and loud enough for him to hear when they finalized their plans to go to the skating rink, hoping that he would show up. And when they got there, he was there. He was on his skates. She said he was wobbly on his skates and not great at skating. And he was holding the support rail. And I don't know. Um, 
I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you know, later on when you read the Memphis Mafia books, Elvis and his friends spent a lot of time. He would rent out the roller rink, and they the would skate. So rink. he he must have gotten better at roller skating through the years because um, they were pretty rough and wild on those roller skates, and you had to be a good skater to hang with them. So I yeah, thought that was interesting. And Dixie said she skated right up to him and said, Hi, I'm Dixie from First Assembly. And he smiled and said, I know who you are. First of all, can you imagine? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I know this was before he was famous, but still. Well, he, any teenage girl that knows that, you know, where the guy says, I know who you are, that's that's flattering. If it's your crush yeah. and they, they know who oh, yeah. you are, that's flattering. Yeah. And she suggested that they turn in their skates and they spent the rest of the evening talking. And he was 19 at the time and had his own car and asked to drive her home. She said it was pretty rare in their uh, circle to have your own car. Um, She told him that she would have to call and ask her parents. And he followed her to the payphone, which she wasn't expecting him to do. And she said that she made a very convincing phone call asking for permission from her parents, to which she later had to confess to Elvis was fake because her family didn't even have a phone at the time. Like Elvis, they were pretty poor, um, which I think kind of, they had that kinship too, you know, um, he didn't have a lot and she didn't have a lot. So I think it kind of put him on even ground with that. I think um, he might have been intimidated if her family had a bunch of money, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think well, he always felt, um, I don't really know the word. I'm well, in the book, the, um, in the book, it, I remember reading where on the way home from the first date, they stop somewhere and get something to eat. And they're talking and I don't know how it comes up in conversation, but he actually had thought that she was from a wealthy family. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so, you know, that may have had played into some of his shyness and things too. But I do yeah. think, I think, you know, young, young puppy love like that, you know, they, they came from, um, I mean, he was new in town and, and they came from the same church. So they had the faith in common. They were both very close to their families and then, mm-hmm. you know, like you say, the, the upbringing that they, they had, and they both had family, you know, her family was from another state. I can't remember which state they would take the train to Georgia, was it? I think her family, she had family in Georgia. But, um, so, but I mean, you know, um, they they had a lot of in common and at the time, you know, most of the most of the recreation, I know around here they say the way they courted around here back in the day was they went to church, you know. Um, yeah. So being in the same church and the same circle of friends, I mean, it, it sure made it easy for them to spend time together. Yeah. Um, they had her family, she had family in Georgia. And they stopped at Kay's Drive-In on the way home and shared a hamburger and a Coca-Cola. And Elvis walked her to the door where they made plans to see each other again. And Elvis politely asked, may I kiss you goodnight? 
And she said that she blushed and nodded yes. And that it was a very gentle kiss that left her heart pounding. And that she got in trouble when she got inside but said it was worth it. And her family didn't have a phone, but her aunt and uncle next door did. So Dixie would use their phone to talk to Elvis almost every day that week. And um, the night of their first date, he came to pick her up. And Dixie was anticipating a quick introduction to her family. But when he arrived, he had... um, his hair combed into a ducktail, wearing black dress pants with a pink seam down the leg and a matching jacket. And she said all the other boys at the time that they knew wore Levi's and white t-shirts and had crew cuts and loafers. So her family got a little concerned when her date showed up wearing these strange clothes with a strange hairstyle and that her uncle even offered him money to go get a haircut. She said Elvis was very polite, um, but rather than going out, her parents suggested that they stay home and let her family get to know Elvis a little bit more. She said so they sat around and played games together, and by the end of the night, Elvis had won over everyone, and that her parents loved him and her her three sisters adored him, and um, that after that, they began exclusively dating, and she was a sophomore at Southside High School in Memphis, and on their third day, Elvis asked her to go steady and gave her his Humes High School class ring to wear, that they would see each other almost daily, and that Elvis would pick her up from school in his Crown Electric delivery truck, and um, she would ride with him to make his deliveries before he took her home. And they would... Um, they would hang out with with her friends, and he, she said he always had a guitar in the car, and that they loved when he would play and sing for them, and um, everyone was always mesmerized when he would get out his guitar, and that he, he took her home to meet his parents, and that they were so sweet and welcomed her into their family with open arms, and that she immediately loved them, and they loved her right back. And she became really, really close with uh, Elvis's mom, especially. Very close. Um, So, at the time, her sister got married and moved to California. So, the night before, her sister's... um, and her Dixie sister and her brother-in-law left. They had a family dinner for everyone to come tell them goodbye. So Elvis was there and that he often referred to her sister Juanita as his little red-headed sister-in-law. And I wish you could see the picture, but there's a picture of at this dinner of Elvis and ever and Dixie's family. And he's sitting there with, um, his duck tail and a suit and it's it's one of those pictures you know that is so rare these the pictures in here are so so cool yeah and, and they're not ones that you see everywhere they're they're no. like, they're they're personal photos yeah and there's pictures of um notes that he signed for Dixie's sister Juanita that says to my hot-tempered little sister-in-law and to my beloved little sister-in-law, my next best girl. 
It's just so cool. Um, they had a lot of game nights. They would go to the record shop and listen to records. Um, the guy at the record shop knew that they couldn't afford the records, but he would let them go into the booth in the back and play them. Um, they would get a Coca-Cola and visit with Elvis's friends until it was time to go home. And on the rare occasion, if they had any extra money, they would get a milkshake. Um, said that he was extremely handsome and she was in love fast and didn't think there would ever be another. That he didn't date anyone else and she didn't either. Um, and that they were a typical teenage couple, and in spite of their infatuation with one another, they would, they still had their arguments. So, one instance, she handed Elvis his class ring back, and he threw the ring into a field across the street. And by the time they realized it was a stupid misunderstanding and spent the rest of the afternoon combing through the field, they never found the ring. So there's somewhere in Memphis where Elvis's class ring is in a field. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows? It could have been dug up by now or what? But yeah. Yeah. And she said that. After that, Elvis promised the next ring he put on her finger would be a wedding band that would never be removed. Yeah, that's all. So, um, they they talked of marriage, you know. Um, so, uh, back to the church. The First Assembly Church was the home base for one of Elvis's favorite gospel quartets, the Blackwood Brothers. And um, he even tried out to be a part of a quartet when they first came to the church called the Songfellows. Um, he said he heard them rehearsing and asked if he could join. And they said, sorry, Elvis, but you don't have the right voice for quartet singing. And that um, over the years, they became good friends with them. And after Elvis's first record release, she heard him say, man, did we mess up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to find, like I said, I'm literally looking through the book. So I am trying to read and talk at the same time. And I don't want to miss anything for you guys. I'm I'm going to kind of throw in, I know you hear a lot of times, well, in, in Dixie's book and in Anita's book that we'll go over next week, both of the those women were part of Elvis's early life, and they were there before the fame and, you know, before he really became uh, the Elvis Presley that everybody knew. Um, and they both felt that they were, you know, his one and only, and they both felt like his mother loved them. I mean, you know, you hear them say, um, I was Elvis's first love. I was the one that Elvis, you know, Elvis loved me best and different things like that, which I feel like at different times in his life. But I feel like he, um, I, I think Gladys wanted him to marry a Southern girl. And I think that she whenever she saw that he was serious and if he cared about somebody and they met her standards that she encouraged 
them to uh, be exclusive and, and to marry. I think she would have loved for him to have married uh, one of the, her picks. And, uh, oh, and I definitely. She was very close to Dixie. And then yeah. I think she was, you know, later we won't say that much about Anita, but I think that she was close to Anita too. But I do think that Elvis had the personality. I think that when he, you know, he has the, the song, um, I Love Only One Girl, One in Every Town from one of his movies. And and that's a lot true of, of how Elvis was. I think he really yes. felt it at the time. I don't think he was, I think probably later he may have been a player. I, I don't know. That, that's a whole different podcast. But I do feel, especially in the early relationships that he had, I feel like he truly did, um, you know, care so much about somebody. And there's an interview on um Elvis radio that you hear all the time and he says am I in love and he says no I thought I, I thought I've been in love a few times you know um but just a yeah typical, well just a you typical have to think boy you know too, this is the deep south in the 1950s he didn't know that his whole life was about to change no, and didn't. blow up and become the big you know one of the biggest uh, musicians of all time so to right. him if he was going to keep work you know if working at I know Crown that Electric. he always wanted more right. but to him if he was going to keep working for Crown Electric and stuff I mean I could see him thinking yeah I'll marry down. you know like yeah, yeah he was going to be ready to settle down like his parents and every other person that he knew did yeah and so I do think that he at the time he was dating for marriage, you know I he didn't too. know he was gonna have girls throwing themselves at him. I think no, he was serious about dixie i i yeah, I really I do, do think that I do too. I, I do think it went a long way that he he loved her family so much they loved him and and his family loved her, and she loved them like I think right. I definitely think that that's what he was looking for in a wife. Right. And something I want to address, too, that I get really upset about, and, and I guess it's just being from the South, like you say, but everybody talks about him dating younger women, you know, having been infatuated and like, you know, um, Priscilla was 14 when she met him and he was older. But you got to think in the South. I mean, I know my mother married at 16. Yeah. Um, I think my mother-in-law, I don't know how old she was, but she she was still in high school when she married. I mean, in the South, that's 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 what happened, you know. Oh, yeah. um, very rarely did a girl live to be 18 until she got married. And honestly, I mean, when I got married, I was 24, and everybody around here would call me an old maid because I was 24 years old. And your dad's And it's still pretty common today, too, especially in it our is. town. But when they oh. but when they start talking about him, you know, robbing the cradle and being interested in little girls and things like that, I don't think it was it, it was that mindset at all. I just think it was the way he was yeah. raised, and that's just you know that was just part of of our culture. Yeah, I I I agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, it 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 was very very common. Um, like I said, it's still in our hometown. There'll be Very several common. girls graduating high school engaged. It's not it's not uncommon at all. But back to the book. She said when they weren't having special guest singers on Sunday night at First Assembly that she and Elvis would slip out and go a few blocks down the street to Trigg Avenue Baptist Church. 
And it was an African-American church, and they always welcomed them with open arms and that their music was incredible and that they loved the hand clapping, swaying, and sometimes jumping during the fast-paced songs. And um, that Elvis couldn't wait to try their, um, the like the way they expressed the music, Elvis couldn't wait to try that when he sang. So that shows, you know, some influence that he got from these African-American singers and um, you definitely can see that in, in his songs and his gospel songs. Yeah, um, you can. And that they um, they didn't ever really get to stay for the sermon because they had to get back to their seats at First Assembly before their pastor's message was finished. Um, let me Oh, and then they would attend, um, they would have all-night gospel singings at Ellis Auditorium in downtown Memphis, and um, they always attended that with their families, and they would try to attend any kind of gospel singing that they had in Memphis. They would try to be there. They loved going to listen to gospel music, Um, and this is one of my favorite part so Dixie said that you know when she would sit at school she would start daydreaming and thinking about Elvis and that um, she said a few years ago she received a call from a staff member at Graceland that had found some things of Elvis's mom that had not ever been uncovered and that inside of one of her purses was an old wallet that belonged to Elvis and inside his wallet were love letters that she had written him from school and they are so sweet so I'm gonna read them and they they have um even have the uh time they don't have the date on all of them but they have the time so this was at 9 55 a.m and it says, hey, handsome, I was just sitting here in study hall thinking of you. And since I haven't written to you in such a long time, I decided I would try again to tell you how much I love you. Darling, when you talk of marriage, I feel so wonderful to know that I'm the lucky girl that you have chosen to be your wife. I can hardly wait until we will be together for good and there will be no goodbyes. I love you more than anything else in the world. I think about you constantly. You are always on my mind no matter where I am or what I do. You are my one and only love forever. As this is my last sheet of paper, I will close for now. Love ya, Dixie. How sweet. And then this one was on February 19th, 1954 at 1045 a.m. Hello, my darling. How's the most wonderful sweetheart in the world today? As for myself, I'm so darn lonesome I could scream. I just realized that it's been 48 hours since I last saw you. Isn't that awful? It seems like ages since I kissed you and told you that I love you more than anyone else in the world. Darling, when I'm with you, I think only of the day when I will be Mrs. E.A. Presley. That is, if you want me to be. I can think of nothing I would like better than to be your wife. I hope and pray that you mean it when you say you love me, for I love you so very much I can hardly stand to say goodnight to you. Well, it is time for the bell. I guess I'll close until tonight. I love you with all my heart. Please believe me. Love you, Dixie. And then this one was March 19th, 1954, a month later. 
Hello, darling. I'm sitting here waiting on my one and only love, you, to come. I have been thinking about you all day, as I always do. Darling, I love you so much. I honestly believe I'd go crazy if you ever left me. I know life wouldn't be worth living without you. I count the seconds until I can be with you again. I can hardly get my schoolwork done for thinking about you. You are on my mind all the time. Well, I guess I had better close for now, but please believe me when I say I love you more than anyone else in the world. Love ya, Dixie. Oh, that's just my dark. Oh, there's more. Do you want me to keep going? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I forgot about the letters. I love these letters because it shows just how sweet and innocent. Yes, a little girl. But anyways, my dar- dearest darling, how is the most wonderful guy in the world today? I was just sitting here thinking of you as always and thought I would write and tell you that I love you very much. Honey, I get so lonely when I'm not with you. I could die. When I'm out with you, the hours just fly. If possible, I could stay out with you all night. Darling, I love you so much. I just can't explain it on paper how much I really care for you. If you love me and I love you, we will never have to worry about anything. If your love for me is as great as mine is for you, you will always trust and believe me. Well, darling, I could sit here and tell you that I love you a million times and mean it with all my heart. But as it is time for the bell to ring, I will close for now. I love you very much. Your true sweetheart, Dixie. P.S. I love you and you alone. (laughs) This is April 7th, 1954. My dearest darling, as I haven't written to you in a long time, I decided I'd better now. Honey, it's so lonesome when I'm not with you, I could die. When you and I are together, nothing or no one matters but us. I think you are the most wonderful person in the world, and I love you with all my heart, and I always will, as long as we live. I only hope and pray that you love me only half as much as I love you, for that is more than anything in the world. It is 3.20, and in case you don't know, I got five days detention for skipping yesterday. Just three hours so you can hold me, and we can tell each other how much we are in love. Well, sweetheart, as it takes me an awful long time to close a letter to the one I love, because I could just keep on and on telling you how much I love you, this is the only sheet of paper I have. I will say goodbye for now until tonight. Loving you as ever, Dixie. Here's the last one. April 9th, 1954. My dearest darling, I'm supposed to be writing a book report for English, but since I can't think of anyone but you, I decided to write to you. Darling, I love you so much. Life isn't worth living when I'm not with you. I will never be able to tell you in words how much you mean to me. If we are always as happy as we are with each other, we will never have to worry about breaking up. Love is so wonderful, especially when I'm in love with the most wonderful person in the world. And just to think that you love me as much as I love you makes me the happiest person on earth. Darling, I hate to write such a short letter, but the bell is about to ring, so I'll close for now. Until tomorrow... I love you with all my heart. Love and kisses, Dixie. And it's just so funny because now it's it would be in text messages. Yeah, I love that's the, true. I love the handwritten letters. That that is, that is a, so a good sweet. thought. That is a good thought. What about that? Yeah, that's true. So, um, pretty soon, he walked into Sun Studios and recorded his first album, and. He, um, she said that, or yeah, not his first album, but that's all right, mama. Um, and she said that summer in July that her family went on vacation to visit their Georgia and Florida relatives. 
and that she really didn't want to go because there was so much excitement going on with Elvis's career. But um, she didn't. She respected her parents too much to not go or try to argue with him about it. So a couple of days into their vacation, she received a telegram from Elvis telling her that their local disc jockey, Dewey Phillips, on Red Hot and Blues, WHBQ Radio, had played his record, That's All Right, Mama, 14 times in a row. And so as soon as they got in the car to drive home, she turned on the radio and heard the DJ announce, and now a new recording by a local talent, Elvis Presley, singing That's All Right, Mama. And how cool would that have been to have seen him? She said she'd seen him rehearse the tune so many times. But that was the first time that she'd ever heard it on the radio and that her and her sister screamed like crazy. I can imagine. Um, Yeah, and she said that she attended um, his first concert in Memphis at the Overton Park Shell on July 30th, 1954. And that she'll never forget standing in the wings of the Overton Park show with uh, his mom when Elvis took the stage. And that they started, they thought it was funny when the uh, girls started freaking out over Elvis. And they got, she said, they got so tickled watching the crowd's reaction. Um, so, you know, at this time, Elvis started touring a lot. And um, she said he would bring... Dixie and his parents' gifts from the different cities that he played in. And at this time, a lot of, uh, she said that whenever his parents traveled to hear him, that she got to go with him. And um, she would ride back home with them after the concert and spend the night at their house. And that Elvis would arrive much later, early in the morning, and that she and his mom would jump out of bed as soon as he walked in the door and cook up a big breakfast for him. And that Elvis would change clothes and be off again. And that when the fan mail started to roll in, that um, she had the opportunity to read a lot of the letters. And Elvis enlisted her to send responses to the fans, fans on his behalf. So she hand wrote each note back and always signed Elvis's names. And yeah. that when he would, he would, I, I think that's so cool. I do too. I mean, what what an incredible role that she had. Mm-hmm. Um, she hasn't had in his life and in his career. I mean, that that's she was there when it all happened and watching. She it was. Unfold. I mean, what a, so, what a, yeah, what a story. It is so so cool. And when they when Elvis and his um, bandmates would play in clubs that she wasn't old enough to get into, she would babysit Scotty and Bill, his uh, guitarist and bass player, their kids, and um. That she loved babysitting them, and when they got done with their gig, they would um, come back to the house, and Elvis would sit on the front porch with her and tell her every detail about the show. Um, and they would talk until early morning, or until her dad flashed the porch light on and off, which mean <laughs> meant it was time to come inside. So, um, Elvis, this was like probably. Dixie's claim to fame are the prom photos. Yes, yeah. So Elvis actually escorted Dixie to her prom. Um, she said that she went shopping with uh, Elvis's mom and found a beautiful white ankle-length strapless evening dress 
from a popular Memphis department store called Three Sisters. Um, and that keeping a promise was very important to Elvis. And um, that the night before prom, he was performing at the Louisiana Hayride, but drove all night to get back home to be able to take her to the prom, which I think is so sweet. I, did, I, I love that. Yeah. And that the entire neighborhood was watching when Elvis pulled up into pulled up to her house and he wasn't driving that Crown Electric delivery truck anymore. He was driving a pink Cadillac wearing a tuxedo that fit him like a glove. And um, that he he gave her a beautiful corsage and they got a kick out of it because her sister had already bought her a corsage because she thought Elvis would forget. And then when they got to Elvis's house, they went to his house after um, hers so his parents could see them. And um, Elvis's, let's see, they went to Bob Neal's home, who was Elvis's manager at the time. This was before Tom Parker. Even his wife, Helen, had got another corsage because... She didn't think Elvis would get a corsage either. But she said, as you might guess, I probably wore the one that was handpicked by Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, the prom was at the Claridge Hotel and that all eyes were on them as they entered the ballroom. Because at this time, everyone knew who Elvis was. So it was a big deal for oh, him I'm to sure. be at this prom. All eyes were, were on them. Um and that everyone, even the teachers, were trying to get a good look at him. <laughs> um, said they danced. Um, that he had his own original moves on the dance floor. And that when they would slow dance, he would um, quietly sing in her ear. Cannot even imagine. No. Um, but that um, it was... A dream night that her prom was. But um, shortly after that, Dixie had a friend who was dating a um, man named Morris who was in the Navy. And her friend Beverly set her up with his friend Bobby. So Dixie started seeing a guy named Bobby and he said that he'd liked her on their first, they went on a double date. He said that he'd liked her all throughout high school and had always wanted to ask her out, but was too nervous. So, um, I guess at this time Elvis was gone so much and I'm sure there were rumors of him, you know, with other girls. Yes. And so she started seeing Bobby, um, and you can't really blame her, you know. No, um, no. That she she liked him a lot and didn't really know what to do about it. Um, the day of her graduation, she had she got a surprise visit from Elvis, who wanted to take her on a spin for his new motorcycle. Um, and that when she got home, her dad said that. Um, Bobby had called or he had come by to see her when she was out with Elvis and that her dad said he wasn't going to lie to him and told told him where she was and that he had sped off upset in his car so 
she said that both Elvis and Bobby had asked to take her out the night after her graduation. Um, but that she had actually accepted Bobby's invitation. So at this time, she knew that she said they never really broke up. It just kind of ended mutually. They grew apart, yeah. They just they grew, grew apart. apart. There wasn't any big dramatic breakup. His career was taken off. She was graduating high school. I think they were both seeing other people. They just grew apart. They remained friends, but they grew apart. And Elvis attended her graduation. Um Mm-hmm. And, uh, but she she went went um out that night with Bobby, and he she said that he loves to tell everyone that um he he's the guy that stole Elvis's girl, and yeah. <laughs> he's very proud of that fact that she could have had Elvis but picked him, but and um, that's who she ended up marrying. That's who she ended up marrying. Yes. Yeah. Um, and when she said um, that she was working at a bank in downtown Memphis when she received a call from Elvis um, that his mom had been taken to the hospital and that was when she passed away and that um, Elvis was completely devastated and they cried and prayed with each other over the phone. Um, their t- at the time their relationship had completely changed. They'd been, you know, apart for years, but they had a great friendship and uh, would still talk to each other periodically. And that her- his parents stayed in touch with her, especially his mom. So Elvis asked if she would come to his mom's funeral, which she she of course went to. And then afterwards, um, he asked her to come up to the house and. She, when she got there, she had decided not to go up because there was a ton of cars and she wasn't comfortable with that. But she said that his uncle wanted to call and tell Elvis that she was there. So she let him and um, Elvis really wanted her to come up, up and see him. So uh, she went and she said that he met her at the front door and was so respectful of her feelings and that she never saw one soul in that house other than him. And that they sat at the piano and he uh, sang and played. And um, that they went outside and sat on the steps of Graceland and talked for hours. Um, and she reminded him how much his mom loved him and how proud she was of him. And, um, she, but she said that, um, she for sure, you know, that was one of the most difficult days that Elvis ever had. And it would actually turn out to be the last time they ever saw each other face to face. Elvis wasn't able to attend their church any longer. He had tried to. But at that time, he was so famous that when he came, everyone would be interrupted in the service trying to get an autograph of him. So he would end up leaving before the service was over to try to keep the disturbance. You know, he didn't want to interrupt the the pastor, but that he would make um, appointments to come in and meet with their pastor during the week and um, throughout his life. So um, I believe that when Elvis died, um, Vernon called and asked Dixie to the funeral, but she decided not to attend. Um, 
it had just been so long and she just didn't feel comfortable. She was married and had three children. Um, and fun fact, when Graceland first opened to the public, her daughter was one of the original tour guides. One of the first tour guides at Graceland, which I think is such a cool I love that too. Full circle moment. And, and his um, cousin Patsy's son. Yes. They went to school together and they worked at Graceland together. I thought that was a really cool yeah. story. It's so cool. And and since then Dixie's went on to uh, attend several of the um Elvis Week events and her and Priscilla are super good friends. She absolutely loves Priscilla. Priscilla actually wrote the forward in her book. Uh, they're they're very close and she said every time that Priscilla's in town they have lunch. Priscilla attended her surprise uh, 80th birthday party and they've really just bonded. Um, and Priscilla said that Dixie said when they met, she said, boy, do I have some stories that I could tell you. And Priscilla said, I've heard them all. Elvis told me all about you in Germany and would share all kinds of stories. So I I think that's really cool, too, that they've been yeah, able to connect too. and create a friendship. But um, I know that was a lot. I know it's a long podcast, but this book is so sweet and good and just shows a part of Elvis's life that's not talked about as much and I just think it's it was a sweet and innocent time in his life yeah I think that and and honestly you know when his mom and dad were both alive and and he was young I mean even though his success was was young or you know he, he he wasn't as successful he didn't know what he had ahead of him I think that was probably some of the happiest times in his life Oh, I agree. He didn't have the pressure and he didn't have all the people looking at him to, you know, have to, uh, to take care of everybody and everything. Just, you know, just a normal, just a normal guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool to, to read about him in that way. And before fame really hit. Right. So I was, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did researching about it. Um, I'm excited to hear about Anita next yes. week. Yes. Um, if you like what you hear, give us a review on Apple or Spotify. Um, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And we have a Facebook page at Let's Talk Elvis Podcast. And um, we'll talk to you hopefully next week. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.